All right. Hey, everybody. Let's get rolling this morning. Thank you so much for being here. Happy uh, Thursday. It's good to see some faces of people I've known for a long time and making other friends as well. I hope it's been a good couple of days for you so far. Uh, when I went in to get my second tattoo, and I just have three, my, my wife asked me to stop at three. Uh, we do biblical numbers in our house, so after three is like seven, and then 11, and then 40, so three, three is good. Uh, this was a few years ago. I walked in, and I had a friend who went with us, Sarah Campbell, who lives in Abilene. Some of you may know her. She was on staff at the Highland Church for a long time, one of our dearest friends. She went with me because she thought that she may want to get a tattoo as well. And she was sitting just a few feet from me watching this happen, and I didn't feel it, but apparently at some point uh, I got stuck and a little blood popped out. She goes white. She passes out, all right? So now to this day, Sarah does have a little bit of ink, but that moment like scarred her for a long time. The guy who was uh, putting the ink on my left arm, a big guy, tank top, tattoos from head to toe, deep, raspy voice. And we started talking about life. We started talking about faith. And then he started telling me, I was just asking questions about his life. He started telling me about his spouse who was terminally ill. He knew that his wife only had a few months to live. So as we're processing this, he starts to cry. Now, just FYI, if you ever are getting ink on your body and the tattoo artist begins to cry, you're wanting to take a time out. Like how, you know, let, let's talk through this for a minute, gain your, gain your composure a little bit. You know, go, go take a smoke break if you need a smoke break. Like I, I need somebody who can see what they're doing in order to finish what you're trying to do on my left arm. He kept going. It just happened that on my left arm, what I have are the numbers 114, and going through 114 is the Greek word for disciple, methetes. And the 114 stands for John 114. The word became flesh and dwelled among us. It's a verse that means a lot to me. Now, I'm not trying to romanticize getting ink on your body, all right, or uh, trying to make this into some uh, experience. And I, sometimes I don't know how God works and God orchestrates. I don't think God called me to go get a tattoo so that I could minister to Henry. But in that moment, Henry wanted to know what 114 stood for. And I started talking to him about what the word became flesh means to my life. And then we started processing what it means for Jesus to become the word that enters into suffering. And he had all kinds of questions about what this means for life. And I had some responses and hopefully some hope to give him of Jesus who stepped into the world, stepped into brokenness. And John 1.14, the word became flesh. Jesus becomes the word, the living word, the spoken word that enters into brokenness over and over and over again. So Chris and I, uh, uh, I've been a minister now for 22 years, 20 years in a preaching role. I started uh, preaching when I was 12, all right? Uh, hey, tomorrow I have a kid who's about to turn 16 years old, so I'm flying out tonight to get home to be with my kid. He wants 10 chicken minis before he goes to school tomorrow, so I've, I've got to get home to deliver. Chris, uh, many of you know Chris, and, and I don't know if you're in this room because you want a good seat for the next class for Ruble. I don't know if you're here because when you come to Pepperdine every year, you just look at where is Chris Seedman and you circle that and you're going to be wherever Chris is. Uh, I, you may be here because you were interested in the subject of hearing and listening to God and what this means for your life, what it means for the people in your church, what it means for people you disciple. 
Uh, so yesterday, and just a brief recap, uh, and uh, if you weren't here, I hope you get a chance to go listen to it. Chris took about 25, 30 minutes where he just walked us through scripture of different ways that God speaks today, speaks through the word, ultimately speaks through Jesus, uh, and, and um, did a fantastic job doing that. And, then, and I talked to some of just practical ways that, this, uh, that we can make space to hear God today. What does it mean for us uh, to allow prayer to become a dialogue so it's not always a monologue? What does it mean for us to practice the ways that some Easterners, Easterner, uh, Christians in the Eastern part of the world, the way they pray, where they allow the host, they allow God to determine how the prayer time goes. So we're not, we're not setting the agenda for prayer, but we're sometimes just entering in the space, just eager to have a divine connection where there's anticipation and there's courage and there's risk and there's suspense of what could God do. I shared with you two of my fears when it comes to prayer and listening to God. One fear is what if nothing happens? Will I keep coming back? The other fear is what if something does happen? Am I going to allow God to have his way with my heart and whatever that word is? I want to share just a couple of stories this morning and I guess before I even get to that, I think all of us have experienced abuse before when it comes to people who claim to have heard from God. And you may know these people who like they're always hearing from the Lord. And it's hard to, it's hard to combat that. Like, you know, last night God told me, or for those of us in church leadership positions, sometimes on Sunday mornings when people say, I heard from the Lord this morning and I, I need the microphone to say something to the church. And then we're left discerning. Is this a, a moment of God or, or, or not? Like you, you probably know these people. When my sister tragically died back in 2010, I had two voice messages that people left on my phone before she died, claiming they had received a dream from from God and another a word from God that Jenny was going to be miraculously healed. She wasn't. She died. And those two voice messages stayed on my phone for days and weeks because I was left wondering, okay, God, was this you? And that's where, where did it go wrong? Or did some people, did they, did they miss a word from you? So, so we know it's been abuse. And I know Chris and I could tell story after story, or maybe we don't have many stories of times when we have God has spoken to us or has prompted us, and we didn't act on it. We either ignored it, we didn't act on it. But I want to share a couple of stories this morning back in 2019. It was a hard year for me of how the Lord spoke into my life. Uh, 2019 was a year, there were just a couple of events that happened around the same time that my confidence was shattered in ministry and life. My insecurities were high. Uh, in some ways, the enemy was getting the best of my mind allowing me just to chase lies from the enemy instead of resting on the truth of God. And I had a woman in my church, September of 2019. She was, she was terminally ill. She was on her deathbed. I knew she was about to die, and I went to visit her. And I'll never forget, it was a Thursday around 9.30 when I walked into the living room where she was on her hospice bed, knowing she was probably uh, within 24 hours of, of her life on this side of eternity. Uh, I was about to speak at Harding School of Theology for chapel at 11 o'clock in Memphis, Tennessee. So I knew I needed to be out of there by about 10.50. So I sat down with Pat, and I just held her hand, and Pat, uh, she, she reminded me of the testimony of her life, or almost all of her life, over 55 years, she said she was just so angry because of things that had happened to her, abuse that had happened to her, and the last 10 years of her life, she lived with the joy of the Lord, like the, the joy of the Lord just captured her, caught hold of her, 
And this is the kind of woman in church, like sometimes for preachers, like you know if you're in a preaching moment and it just doesn't seem to be hitting. Like you know there's a one or two people in the crowd that you can find them, and it's like the joy of the Lord just radiates off of them, and it will remind you of like who you are and the power of the moment that you're in. Pat was always one of those, women, those, those people for me. And then Pat started asking me questions about heaven and what I thought it would be like. And when she breathed her last breath, what did I think would happen? So we had this holy moment together, and then I prayed for her and just prayed that the arms of Jesus would welcome her into his eternal kingdom. And I leaned over, and I kissed her on the forehead, and I told Pat bye. And as I was walking around and out, or out of that living room, I knew this is probably the last time I will ever see my dear friend Pat. And I got to the door, and Pat said, Josh, I need you to stop. I sense the Lord just gave me a word for me, for you. I need you to sit back down. And I knew I had to go speak at chapel. But if a woman on her deathbed says she just got a word from the Lord for you, you sit down. So I sat back down. And Pat was unaware of some of the events that had happened in my life in 2019. And I sat down and she said, Josh, while you were praying, I sensed that the Lord wanted me to tell you this. God created you with a tender heart, and tender hearts break easy. And what God wants you to know is that when your tender heart breaks, God's not going to leave it broken. At some point, God's going to put that back together. And she said, you need to remember this the rest of your life because God has called you into a ministry, and you still have a long ways to go, and your heart's going to break, but God's going to put you back together. And that's the word Pat spoke over me. I got in my car and I wept. Journal it. Never forget it. In moments when I feel my heart breaking, I'm reminded of the word the Lord spoke through Pat. Thankful for her courage of being in a a place in her life where she could could barely get words out because of just her lungs to be faithful to speaking that word. It was around that same time. I was coming out of a sabbatical, a a, a four-week sabbatical, 30 days. On day 29, night 29, and I know some of us who have ever had sabbaticals, like sometimes when you are entering out of a sabbatical, you're stepping back into life, and you know your rhythm's about to change a little bit. And I, and I was just, like, I was asking God before I went to bed one night, like, am I ready to step, step back into this? God, I, it was a sabbatical that was so good for me. I needed it. And on night 29, I had a dream. And in the dream was a spiritual mentor and hero of mine. And the dream was that he came over to me and gave me the biggest hug. And as he did, he leaned over into my ear. And all he said was, may the presence of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with you this day and forever. Now, I could also tell you dreams about swallowing hangers and all kinds of weird dreams I have that I, I don't think there's anything to them. But there have been a few times in my life I wake up with this vivid image in a dream that I don't need to go find an interpreter to tell me what it means. It's just like a gift of God. So I know Chris here in just a few minutes is going to talk about different ways in Scripture that God does speak to us and has spoken in the past. 
But I want to talk just a moment about the silence of God. Uh, I, when, when my sister died in 2010, uh, my prayer life took a hit for about a year. And it wasn't a point where I, I stopped praying. It wasn't, I wasn't a point where I lost faith. I just had so many questions about how prayer works. My questions wasn't about the existence of God. My questions were about the intervention of God. When does God choose to intervene and when does God seem to keep his hands off? And I also had questions about the silence of God. And Philip Yancey has been a great companion, an author. I've never met him, but I've read almost everything he has of leaving space for the silence of God and talking about a vibrant faith. He tells one story of a guy who uh, had, a, had a tragic accident, and he was in a hospital bed for weeks, maybe months. And he was paralyzed from the waist down. And the way this, is, this would work is an alarm would go off every 30 minutes, and they would have to turn his body, and this was to prevent bed sores. So for 30 minutes, he would lay on his side, and he would look at one, uh, uh, one wall of the hospital room, and on that wall was a picture of uh, Jesus on a cross, the crucifixion. And every time he was on that side, he would look at that wall, and he would be reminded of a God who enters into suffering, who suffered with us and for us and enters into our own suffering. And then an alarm would go off, and he would flip over. And when he would flip over, he would look on the other wall, and on that wall was a picture of the birth of Christ, Jesus entering into the world, God entering into the world. So on one wall was the crucifixion of how God enters into suffering, and on the other wall was an image of the birth of Christ, of how God enters into the world. And both images, in a way, would give him hope, and then both images would leave him with questions of the God who suffers, but why is God not healing his body? Of the God who enters into the world and enters into brokenness, yet in his life there were weeks where he was questioning if or how God was entering into his own life. Henry Blackaby says this. He says, you, uh, when it comes to the silence of God, you can respond to the silence of God in two ways. One response is for you to go into, into depression, a sense of guilt and self-condemnation. The other response is for you to have an expectation that God is about to bring you to a deeper knowledge of himself. These responses are as different as night and day. So this isn't a response of in the silence of God that at some point God's going to break through and give you exactly what, it, what you are asking for, but somehow in the silence of God there may be a revelation of the character and nature of God that will be made clear to you. Three things I try to bank on when I am in seasons of experiencing what seems to be the silence of God, and here they are, and then I'm going to hand it over to Chris. The first one is this. The silence of God does not equal the absence of God. So in moments when you may not, or in seasons where you may not sense a prayer life that God is revealing himself or there's a word coming to you, you're struggling just hearing from God. It feels like prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. The silence of God doesn't equal the absence of God. And there are times in my prayer for people, especially in moments of pain or in hospital rooms, is when there seems to be silence, that God will give them an overwhelming awareness of his abiding presence with them that will not let them go. Number two is this. In times or seasons of silence, commit to space 
and feast on God's promises. There are promises in the word of God that speak to our soul. Uh, Chris and I, a few years ago, had a chance to go up to uh, New York City, and we had um, about an hour, hour and a half, where we spent time with Jim Cimbala, the founding senior pastor of the Brooklyn Tabernacle. And Chris and I have both gone to these prayer meetings over the last 20 years or so that they host on, or they have on Tuesday nights. And Jim was kind enough to give a few of us uh, about an hour and a half with him. And one question I asked was, Jim, you have a church and you've written books where you talk so much about expectation and anticipating the movement of God and miracles and asking God for great things. And I just asked, where is there space in the life of your church for doubt and for the silence of God? And his response was, they do want to be a church that asks for great things. Uh, right, and I think some of us, we, we play it way too safe, even in our churches when it comes to prayer and what we ask of God. But he says one thing they do is they rest on the promises of God. Like there are some things God doesn't promise that he's going to do for us, but we, we ask them anyway. But there are things that God does promise. So to, to claim and declare and sit and rest in those promises can speak to our soul. And the third thing is invest in community. Surround yourself with people who are pressing into God. Because there's so many times God does reveal himself in pairs, through the church, through close friends. And sometimes it's how God speaks to our soul. So Chris, come and take it from there, man. I so appreciate what you said um, when thinking about the silence of God. You know, uh, the silence of God shouldn't always be equated with the disappointment of God. And a lot of people assume that when it, God seems silent, that God must be disappointed with me. Um, there are times when if the Lord is being silent, uh, he, he may be being silent simply because he's already told us what we need to know. To put it to you another way, think about the difference between telling your four-year-old you're about to leave the house, and your 24-year-old, you're about to leave the house. Your four-year-old, hey, we're about to leave. Brush your teeth, comb your hair, put on your pants, grab your knapsack. You spell it out for a four-year-old over and over. And you think, well, you should. That's problematic if you're still doing it for your 24-year-old. You understand what I'm saying? And so there are times when the Lord is silent because he's already told you what you need to know for that thing that you're pondering and seeking him on. That he doesn't just, he's not going to spell it out for you again in one sense. And because part of maturing you is in many ways like you mature the 24-year-old. If you're still doing it for the 24-year-old, that's problematic. And part of developing as a person of God is your will, your understanding, and your wisdom, and your freedom of choice being exercised in response to what the Lord has already spoken. That, that, that's just something to think about uh, in, in this regard, that God's silence is not always to be equated with his disappointment, and sometimes he's silent because he's already told us what it is we, we need to know in that regard. And in many cases, a lot of times it's here. 
Um, I will say this, that uh, I was reading a while back about this development in the world of espionage and intelligence, hypersonic sound, where uh, they've experimented the last 15 years with really focusing sound waves like a laser making it possible for somebody to be standing in a particular position in a large room, maybe a hundred yards away from someone else, and that someone else can send music or even speak instructions. And if you're standing in the proper location, you can hear the music in your ear and the instructions, and the person three feet away from you can't. And they're talking about this in the world of intelligence gathering. Of, of communicating, sending sound like a laser beam to someone else, and yet people standing all around can't hear what it is they're hearing. Fascinating stuff. The point being that sometimes your capacity to hear does have something to do with where you stand, where you're in position. So when I'm, when I'm wrestling with what, what may be the silence of God, or I'm not sure yet, I, I do ask some, myself some questions about uh, how I'm positioned. When there's silence, when I'm perceiving silence, consider some options. Just give you some options. One is my level of expectation. Um, there are times where I'm going through the motions like I'm listening, but I'm not really listening. I think about Franklin Roosevelt in the White House. He was famous for hating receiving lines at formal state dinners. And uh, uh, people would be lined up, and he knew they were so preoccupied with the White House and with what was going on around them that he knew they weren't really listening to him. And so they would come through line, and they would meet him and say, what an honor. And he started to experiment with this. He would say, a pleasure to meet you. I murdered my grandmother this morning. And inevitably, most people would respond, very good, sir. You're doing a wonderful job leading our country. Carry on. And he just got a, this kick out of saying that line and how many people didn't pay attention to him when he said the line. They just went on down the line, off, offering them what was already on their mind that they were going to say without ever hearing him until the president of Bolivia was in line, and he tried the line on him. Honor to meet you, sir, President Roosevelt said, and an honor to meet you. I murdered my grandmother this morning, and without missing a beat, the president of Bolivia leaned in and said, I'm sure she had it coming, Mr. President. <laughs> now, that's a guy. He wasn't just going through the motions. He was listening. And there is something to be said for considering uh, one's level of expectation that when I pray, when I seek the Lord, do I expect some point to have some kind of response from the Lord? Maybe not at that moment. It may be a Psalm 5 thing where I, I lay my request before the Lord and I wait for him expectantly. It may be a Habakkuk 3 thing. I will post myself on the ramparts. I will stand and watch and wait. There is something to be said for that. You know, leaning into Hebrews 11 and verse 6, that um, about without the, the whole role of anyone who comes to God must believe that he exists. And then he says something else. And must believe that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. 
And so there's a place for just evaluating. Am I expectant? Am I leaning in? Uh, another thing I would, uh, I would say uh, I would evaluate is also just consider my capacity for voice recognition. Like I talked about yesterday, uh, there are plenty of examples in Scripture of God being present and God speaking, and people didn't know it was God that was speaking. We covered a few of those examples yesterday. Um, consider my measure of distraction. Uh, in Luke chapter 8, Jesus told that parable, and one of the things he talked about is, is a certain kind of soil, seed was sown, and it, it, it started, it took root a little bit, but as it grew up, thorns began to grow up around it, choked it from being unfruitful. He said the thorns stand for uh, the worries and the anxieties associated with life and the deceitfulness of wealth. I think that part of the parable I really identify with, that may be the part that most American believers find ourselves in, that a seed has taken root, but we wind up being choked by the worries, the anxieties of life, the deceitfulness of wealth. Um, I think we there's a measure of distraction at work a lot of times that leads us to believe God's not speaking. He may be speaking, but we're just so distracted that we're not able to see it. Um, I would consider also this. I would consider my exercise or lack thereof of justice and mercy in my life. I'm thinking of Isaiah 58 there where the Lord's people are calling on the Lord. And they're saying, we're praying and we're fasting and yet we're not hearing anything. And many of you know that chapter. The Lord comes out and says, well, let me talk to you for a second. And he begins to talk to them about their horizontal relationships, about ignoring the oppressed and needy, about withholding wages. He begins to talk to them about matters of justice and mercy in their life as though to say, hey, the reason there's a vertical jam in the communications right now is because there's a horizontal jam in your relationships. And so he says, if you will do this, when he spoke of dealing with the oppressed, sharing, he begins to say, if these things start to happen, watch this, later in Isaiah 58, he says, then your light will break forth like the dawn. Then the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and I will answer. And so in Isaiah 58, one of the practical things the Lord is answering is, he says, you, you're asking me why you're not hearing from me. I want to talk to you about your relationships around you and how you're functioning. Interesting, Peter, in 1 Peter 3 and verse 7, talks about how husbands treat their wives uh, with respect and consideracy as fellow heirs. And then he says this, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. That's really interesting that Peter seems to suggest how I'm relating to my wife Tara and treating her has something to do with uh, whether or not the communication is jammed between him and me. Just something to consider. So those are those are some areas I ask about myself. Uh, 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 is uh, uh, my level of expectation, um, my measure of distraction, my capacity for voice recognition, <laughs> um, my exercise or lack thereof of justice and mercy. Um, and I couldn't agree more with what Josh said. Uh, hearing nothing doesn't mean that nothing is happening. It's lousy grammar, but it's true. Um, and uh, God can be silent and just as present, and for us to fix our eyes on Jesus, 
that way uh, and everything that he does say. Um, I also would commend to you what Josh said about being in a community. You know, it's interesting uh, when you look at a lot of the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus, since we're in this season following Easter, uh, there's only one time when Jesus appears to someone by themselves. It's Mary Magdalene. The rest of his post-resurrection appearances, he is appearing in community. And, and something else to consider is you see this gap in the post-resurrection appearances where you hear a testimony, I've seen the Lord, Mary the disciples, and then some time passes before he manifests himself to the disciples. And then after he manifests himself to the disciples, they say to Thomas, we've seen the Lord. And then some time passes before he manifests himself to Thomas, seven days. And you think, what happens in these gaps between the time somebody hears a testimony and the time actually the Lord manifests himself to that person who's heard the testimony? You have, they're in community with one another. They're, you know, I've always been fascinated by the disciples, what they did with Thomas for one week in between the time Thomas laid down the demands, unless I see it, I'm not going to believe it, and the time the Lord actually allowed Thomas to take a few steps by sight so he could walk by faith. They, I've, they didn't kick him out. I've seen the church kick out people for less. He didn't believe in the resurrection. They held on to each other during this time. And I, I can't say enough about the role of community and holding on to each other uh, in times of silence. Um, I, I do, along this line of staying in position to hear God, throughout Scripture, uh, there are a number of different examples of ways in which he speaks, uh, creation being one. We know that from Psalm 19. Uh, day and night, the heavens and the earth pour forth the knowledge of God, Romans 1 and verse 20. Uh, God's invisible qualities have been made known through what he has made. Creation is one big thing. Um, another example would be, uh, you could say, uh, uh, circumstances and experiences. Uh, I think of the Lord speaking to Haggai in Haggai chapter one, consider your ways. Three times he, consider your ways. And he begins to point to examples in the peoples of God's life about you're bringing home things and yet they're not lasting. And he says, consider your ways. Uh, I think about Jesus and the disciples in the gospels after he fed the thousands, he began to ask them questions like, uh, how many basketfuls did you pick up? How, how much did I begin with before the miracle? And then Jesus says, do you still not understand? There are places where God is speaking through experiences, circumstances. Uh, I think of Acts 16. This is great. You have the Apostle Paul who seems to have this red line to God at times, but then other times he doesn't. In Acts 16, verses 5 through 9, he keeps trying to get into Asia. He's moving from southeast to northwest. He keeps trying to get into Asia to break the God. And Luke says when he's telling the story that the spirit of Jesus won't let Paul across the border into Asia. This is Acts 16, 5 through 10. Twice Luke mentions this. Now, here's the deal. Do you think Paul knew it was the spirit of Jesus that what led him into Asia at the time? No, because he kept trying to get into Asia. Luke is writing this looking in his rearview mirror. 
He says the spirit of Jesus wouldn't let him get into Asia. Paul didn't know it at the moment. All he knew is I'm banging my head against the wall. I'm trying to get into Asia. Interesting. Paul then winds up exhausted in Troas, and that's where he has the vision to go to Philippi in Macedonia that later becomes his big funder for future missionary journeys. Interesting. So you've got record of, and of course, I think the tendency is most people in American religious culture tend to only look to their circumstances and experiences for it. Well, I think God is telling me through this. I know that can be distorted too. Uh, one, of my, one of my encouragements to people in my local church context when we talk about discerning the will of the Lord is don't just look for one variable in decision-making. There are several. There's word of God. There's the community around you, them helping you discern. There is circumstances and experiences because a lot of times we can make a circumstance and experience. We can twist it to endorse what we want to do anyway. I think we all understand that. Um, so there's creation, there's circumstances and experiences. There, God does use people and speaks through people into our life. That is, uh, that, that's the reality throughout Scripture. That has a lot to do with Paul's comments in 1 Corinthians 14 about the gift of prophecy. By the way, I think a lot of us are aware in the American context, people say prophecy, and a lot of people think, oh, future predictions. That's not always the case. In 1 Corinthians 14, 5, prophecy is defined as um, words of strength, encouragement, and edification for others. And then he goes on to give some instructions later as to how you weigh that. Uh, I told you yesterday in this that some of these stories Josh and I are telling, these aren't everyday experiences for us. You're hearing from, I've been at it 30 years. Josh's been at it almost 25. So, uh, and we only have a couple 50-minute sessions with you. So don't leave here thinking this happens every day. It doesn't. Uh, but to put some flesh on this, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a story about a prophetic moment in my life. Um, my wife and I, after we had our third son, we had three kids under six years of age. It was 2004. Um, and three kids under six years of age, um, a lot of stuff happening at the church at the time, um, and we were worn out, and we were growing disconnected. Uh, to be perfectly frank with you, the place where we were having the most trouble connecting is in our physical intimacy. And um, during that time, we were feeling increasingly disconnected. She was, she's given me permission to share this. She was like, where has my libido gone? Where has my sex drive gone? Um, I'm feeling disconnected from my husband. Me, to be perfectly frank, I didn't want to initiate anything with her because she had no drive. I didn't want to feel like I was taking advantage of her. So there was just not a lot of intimacy at the time. And yet we knew we were in a vulnerable place. So we went to our elders and their wives. We say, we know it's the will of the Lord for us to have uh, a healthy relationship in this area. And we both feel exposed. And we had them anoint us with oil and pray for us. Now, it's a very vulnerable thing. But let me tell you what also, what was the coolest thing is all of these people who've been married more than 30 years then opened up their lives to us, and we found out real quickly, we're far from alone. 
So they anointed with oils and prayed for us. Did anything happen immediately? No. A couple months passed and my wife and I went to a renewal conference, a spiritual renewal conference. It's another part of Dallas-Fort Worth. It was a place where we were largely anonymous. It was with another fellowship or tradition within Christianity. And we went, nobody really knew us, and we ran into a fella that we hadn't seen in 10 or 12 years. He was a man of prayer, a single man, older than us by about 10 years. And we're like, we haven't seen you in 10 years. We've moved off to Florida, and now we're back in Dallas, and he didn't know how many kids we have or anything, but we always knew him as a man of prayer. And we just said to him when we talked to him the opening night, we said, can't believe we ran into you. His name was Michael. Hey, Michael, will you pray for us this week? I just left at that. And if the Lord gives you anything, will you just share it with us? We didn't tell him anything. And he's like, sure. The next morning of the conference, he sees my wife. It's a large conference. He says, hey, is Chris around? She goes, no, Chris had to go to the office. This conference is in the town in Dallas where I work. Um, but he's going to be back tonight for a session. He says, great, when he comes back tonight, I want to talk to both of you. She goes, great, which, by the way, on a protocol side, very, very important. He had something he wanted to share with us, but he wanted to share with us as a couple. He didn't want to share it simply with person of the opposite sex very important protocol so uh, I get there that night Tara's like let's find him so we find him and we go hey Michael both of us are here and he's almost evasive action with us you know <laughs> he's like and 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 like well do, I want you to when, when can we connect here and talk he says after the session so we get done with the session and we're in this huge huge conference center, and we go outside to this banquet hall, and we're standing under this ficus tree, this fake tree. I'll never forget it. It's my wife and I, Michael, this person we haven't seen in 12 years. And he's like, I prayed for y'all last night, and I have something I want to share with y'all. And we're like, okay. Now, here's what you need to know. For the previous nine months, when... My wife and I would talk about this area where there wasn't a connection and she would weep. I kept saying to her a line over and over in the privacy of our bedroom, this is only a season. This is only a season. This is only a season. That's all I knew to say. So we're standing under this ficus tree and Mike's looking at us, and I'm like, dude, just say it, whatever it is you have to say. It's, it's our responsibility to weigh it, okay? It's, it's okay if you're wrong. Just say what came to mind when you prayed for us. He put his hand on my wife's shoulder, his hand on me's shoulder, moved us together, and he started weeping. And he looks up at my wife, and he says, I think I heard the words this is only a season. Now, did he know everything about our world? No, because you only prophesy in part and you speak in part. 1 Corinthians 13. He just say, he just said what he heard. No, when he said that, what did it do to my wife and I? 
she became a puddle. She started weeping. Let me tell you what, I was saying those same words for nine months. Now some dude you hadn't seen in 12 years says it. Well, of course, why? It was, we knew there's no way he knew everything we've been walking through. We hadn't been with him in 12 years. We've moved off to another state and came back. He says the exact words I had uttered in our bedroom chamber. You say, Chris, what did that do for us? I'll tell you what it did for us. My wife and I felt seen. Do you remember what Hagar said in Genesis 18? Now I know the Lord sees me. You say, well, scripture would tell you that she's seen. I understand that, but there are times when God allows you to take a step by sight so you can continue the journey by faith. Were we strengthened? Were we comforted? Were we encouraged by that prophetic moment? You bet your bottom dollar. You bet your bottom dollar. And you know what? Within another couple months, the Lord brought us into a new season. And for that, we're both grateful. All that to say, that's an example of God speaking through people. Do people get it wrong? Absolutely. Do people manipulate it? Are people manipulative? Absolutely. Is it just the hot sauce? Sometimes it is. I mean, there's, this is messy, but I, I tell you what, I, to me, I'm, I still want to live in this area where um, you can't open a window to get some fresh air without letting in a few flies. There's the fresh air of the Holy Spirit. Will there be flies? Yeah. That's why you take wisdom from Scripture and you learn how to set up some screens. That's 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. To mitigate the flies, but so that the air can blow. Does that make some sense? So that's just one example from, our, from our, my very personal life about the capacity for God to speak through people to others and yet you still have to weigh you still have to discern um so you got creation you got circumstances you've got people uh you have the example of angels uh throughout scripture all the meaning the meaning of the word angel is messenger uh there are probably some stories in here uh of, of people having experiences like that uh You've also got uh, the whole role of dreams and visions. Uh, and that's a huge, huge subject. By the way, uh, even after Jesus is resurrected and ascended, that didn't mean that dreams and visions stop. You can read Acts in regard to that. Um, you know, experts will tell you that we dream around 1,200 dreams a night. It's part of how your brain blows off steam. There's healing that happens. In dreaming, we understand that. Uh, but it's, it's hard to read Scripture. It's hard to get through Genesis. It's hard to read the Gospels without seeing that this is a variable in which uh, God can speak uh, in many respects. I would never counsel anybody to make a major decision just on the basis of dream. I think you need community. Obviously, you need the Word of God. <laughs> um, those, those are a lot of 
things, some significant experiences in my life and ministry, uh, a dream has been involved. Uh, my first five years at the church where I was, we dismissed five different staff members for varying forms of sexual immorality. Five. It was the most difficult five-year period of my ministry. Uh, a month before, the first one was uh, released, and um, I had a dream. Well, I was at this incredible football game. It's halftime. I'm in the locker room, and I walk inside a perfectly clean stall, and I start plunging a perfectly clean commode. And I don't know why. And the next thing I know, all this sewage comes up. And I keep plunging. And more sewage is coming up. And, and I have this consciousness that the whole team has left the locker room. And they're now playing the second half. And I'm left plunging a commode. And there's sewage everywhere. But I have this sense in the dream that I need to keep plunging so that the water can flow clearly. Well, I wake up from that dream. And I am, I'm like, uh, and I don't remember many dreams at all, but I'm so troubled by it. I'm like, what an odd dream to have. And I'm also frustrated that I'm the one left plunging while the game is going on out there. A month later, the sewage starts coming up in our church. And with all my heart, I don't want to plunge. I just want to deal with the one issue. But we start plunging. And it turns out there was a systemic stronghold of immorality in the church going way back before I got there because I had just gotten there. And eventually, when it was all said and done, five staff members were released over the next five years. Um, we had therapists in. It was very difficult to walk through with the church. You say, Chris, what's the role of the dream then? The role of the dream is simply this. I held on to it as a way of God fortifying my heart for the road ahead. It was a way of me being reminded, God sees this, and I'm not alone. And I had my stretches where I was mad that I was with the therapist and with our staff while the church is just going on. And I'm standing up every Sunday and preaching, and nobody knows what we've been walking through behind the scenes. They only know half the story because we can't tell the whole story. And then everybody's judging us for that, for either being too gracious or not hard enough. Are you with me? Is that all right that we're talking frankly? I mean, if you're going to come at 8 o'clock in the morning, I might as well give you the good stuff. So that's, that is, that is uh, I've never had a vision, by the way, for the record. Okay, so I'm just giving you some examples in here that these are ways. Um, I will say, I haven't even gotten to this, but um, we talk about, uh, there is, people talk about God working through promptings or putting things on our heart. That's Ezra and Nehemiah language. You can read through Ezra and Nehemiah. We talk about God putting on our heart. Paul talks about God putting it on the heart of Titus. So a lot of times people use that language. It's popular language. That's right out of Ezra and Nehemiah and what Paul says about Titus. God does put things on our heart, impressions. Um, there's another thing. The inner voice is one way. You know, a lot of times when you're reading in Scripture and you read about God speaking, you think it's always audible. It's not. Ezekiel in Ezekiel 14, Ezekiel's with the elders, 
And the Lord says to Ezekiel, do you think I should speak to these guys? These guys didn't hear God say that. Ezekiel did. Um, I found that Dallas Willard, in his book, Hearing God, does the most helpful suggestions for processing um, if you're hearing the Lord in your inner spirit. Um, he talked about how we recognize human voices uh, in terms of the, the quality of the voice, the content of the voice, the spirit of their voice. And he likens it in the same way to the Lord. Uh, when he talks about the spirit of the voice, um, the Lord uh, doesn't speak from an anxious place, is an example. God doesn't get anxious. If the voice you're hearing is nagging and anxious, it's probably not the Lord be an example um the there that's the spirit of the voice the quality of the voice uh is um in many ways he talked about the uh sense of authority through which you might hear something uh when you think about jesus jesus didn't quote a lot of rabbis when he said things he just said you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free he said, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. He would say these lines that now we put on buildings all over the world. And he just said them so definitively. And Willard goes on to say, in many ways, that's when the Lord speaks. Obviously, he's not going to contradict his word. But there is a, there is a sense of authority, quiet authority. I uh, uh, know a woman in our church very close to. She was having a real trouble with her 17-year-old, and one day she just told the Lord in frustration, Lord, he's an... And he, she used an expletive about him. He's an... And instantly the Lord said, don't call him an... He's my son. Okay, I'm going to stop right there, and I'll close here. That's a great example of very short, succinct, only the Lord can speak something to your spirit that could be simultaneously corrective and yet empowering and hopeful. Because she said she needed to be reminded at that moment that, you know what? He is your son. And I'm not in this alone. Human beings rarely can speak something succinctly that's both corrective, comforting, and empowering. That's why we have to have follow-up coffees, <laughs> provide disclaimers, write follow-up notes. But isn't that just like the Lord to speak so succinctly to both corrector and yet encourager? You're not in this alone. Amen? I need to pull up here. Um, I knew this was going to be impossible for us to do in two sessions, but we do pray that setting off this shrapnel these last couple days uh, might prompt you along in your own journey with the Lord. If, if you'd like to engage with the whole series, uh, Vox Day, you can find it at thebranch.org. I did 11 weeks on this and also shared a lot of resources, and you can find it at thebranch.org. And Josh also has some things online too. What's your church website? sickofmoreofyou.org. And uh, I'll also be happy to share with you even all of my blessings. I have all this written out. And 
uh, I'll be happy to send that to you as well if you want to dig into this more deeply. Thank you all for the time. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he dig out all our ears according to Isaiah 51. God bless you. Go in peace.